Well, today we're beginning a short two-part series called Sticks and Stones. Okay, so you can't make fun of your pastor for frying my face yesterday out in the sun. Okay, this, I, this is the raccoon look, if you can't tell. Uh, maybe the lights are helping me a little bit, but I fried my face off yesterday. Anybody go outside on that beautiful day yesterday? Rachel played soccer, and uh, like a big dummy, I went out there, and no sunscreen whatsoever for two hours, and I'm like, ee, ee. yeah, so don't do that. But you can't make fun of me because we're talking about that today, so... The next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the power of our words. The power of our words. And help me finish this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words in one of the most untrue statements we have ever taught our children. I hope we're not still teaching that in school when we all know that a physical injury is almost always easier to heal from than an emotional wounding caused by careless words spoken to us or over us. Um, some of these things, can we, we carry these, these, these injuries and these scars we carry for years. Come on, they tear us down. They hold us back from what God has for us. Uh, they, they, they run deep. And often it's because of who we're saying them. It's people that we look up to. It's people that we even love and care for, friends or whatever, maybe parents even, teachers, coaches, even pastors. No doubt they have long forgotten those words, but you haven't. No doubt, you know, they probably didn't even mean to hurt you like that or embarrass you like that, but they did. And those hurtful words may still echo in your mind, that moment may echo in your mind. When I was uh, in high school, I was a, uh, already kind of as a leader in the church, uh, in the youth group, and this was a huge youth group, so they had it split up, high school and middle school. So I was a high schooler working as a leader in the middle school. I was about 15 years old, and I had a great relationship with the student pastor. He was my mentor, very close to him. And he was wrapping up a, a, a session, a talk, and I was 15, you know, and I'm, I don't know if I laughed too hard or I was talking or I don't know what I was doing. I found out later he was feeling very vulnerable with what he was talking about. And how many know when we feel vulnerable, we're going to say things that we shouldn't sometimes. But I didn't know that. I was 15. And he called me down in front of everybody. He said, if you can't handle this, you can just leave. And every middle schooler went, and looked, and he was talking to me, one of their leaders. And man, I'm telling you, if I could have crawled under the floor, I would have. It hurt really bad. This was a person that I trusted, that I loved, that I had a relationship with. And man, he just embarrassed me terribly in front of everyone. And it hurt so bad and went on, and I kept it, as we do, inside for a while. And then and every time I saw him, though, I got mad, <laughs> you know. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just me? Okay. Um, I would, so I finally, after prayer and talking, you know, to my mom and just some different people, I, I did talk to him and we worked it out and, and got healing from that. But I even still, again, I was, was writing that. That's what, that's what I remembered. And we all have those things. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The enemy of your soul could care less what it takes to distract you. He'll use anything. 
something that happened yesterday or something that happened 20 years ago. He doesn't care. The last thing Satan wants is you focused and free. That's the last thing the enemy wants is you focused on your purpose, on your mission in life, and free to work it out and do it. That's the last thing because he knows a Christian who is focused and free is dangerous to his kingdom. He knows a believer who understands who they are in Christ is unstoppable. Come on, somebody. Give him praise if you believe that. Unstoppable. So the first thing we're going to talk about this week, or this week we're going to talk about damaging words that have been spoken to us and how to counteract those words with the word of God. And next week, we're going to talk about the importance of our words and being intentional and and our responsibility and how we talk to others and how we can build up others and not tear them down. Now, I know this is a short series, but the more I've studied it, the more I've prayed, I think it's one of the most relevant that we could talk about. We've recently experienced several teen suicides in our community. Some of these kids were friends with teens in our congregation. Folks, when middle schoolers are taking their own lives because they feel bullied or verbally abused, whether it's in person or online, cyberbullying, it doesn't really matter. We can't sweep that under the rug. When you have one school that's had seven suicides in just a few years. Middle school! You can't sweep that under the rug. And parents, it does start with us. It starts at home. In making sure we're very clear to our children the power of their words. And also we speak life into them. Then it goes to the school, but it also comes to the church. We can make a difference in our community in this area if we understand who we are in Christ and the power we have in His name. Amen? Father, in Jesus' name, I have just sensed Your presence all morning in both services, and I'm so thankful for it. God, right now, let your word come alive. Let it become prophetic. But I'm asking this morning specifically that you bring healing. You bring healing to some people who have carried wounds for many, many years. Do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So few subjects are more important to the life in Christ than the power of words. The book of John opens, in the beginning was the... Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus Christ was and is the incarnate, in the flesh, Word of God. And the Bible has a great deal to say about His words as well as the power of our words. Listen to these examples in Proverbs twelve eighteen. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Proverbs twenty one twenty three says, watch your tongue, I love this, and keep your mouth shut. And you'll stay out of trouble. Uh, Can we read that one again? Watch your tongue. Everybody say tongue. Tongue. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. And you will stay out. I'm telling you, that's worth the price of admission this morning. That is some strong advice from Brother Solomon. I'm telling you. Folks, as we grow 
in our relationship with Jesus, kind of like Pastor Cody was talking about earlier in the offering time. As we grow in our discipleship, God's going to continue to refine us and sanctify us and challenge us, and especially with our tongue. Even when nobody else is around to hear you. Even when you're on I-285 and somebody cuts you off, it matters what you say. Even if there's nobody in the car with you, there is, when you open up your mouth and you speak something, it carries weight and power, even if there's nobody there to hear it but you and God. I'm going to preach whether y'all want me to or not. Think about this. Everything that exists came about by words. Genesis opens with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did he create them? Did he have a saw and a hammer? No, he spoke the universe into existence. God used words. God said, God called, and God blessed, Genesis says. I love how Jack Hayford frames it. Look at the screen. It is the verbal activity of Almighty God that literally decrees our world's existence. Even more remarkable, folks, is that God also gave us that power in our tongue. So many places in the Bible. We don't even have time to go through all of the scriptures. But I'm telling you, the words we speak should be creative and dynamic and life-giving to the world around us. My point to all of this, and you know it, words are powerful. They can hurt or heal. They can cut or create. And the choice is ours. God puts that to us. James 3, the brother of Jesus says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, it makes them obey us. We can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Every politician or public servant needs to memorize this verse. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you. How many... Scandals, a.k.a. forest fires, do we read about or see in the news every single week. And it always comes when some VIP gets off topic, starts speaking from the hip, and gets into hot water because they didn't think through what they said. I started to make some comments about our president, but I'm not going to, okay? All right, I'm going to. My Lord, the tweets. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Whether you love him or hate him, my Lord. Anyway, I'm going to move on quickly before I say something I'm not supposed to say. But here's, here's the point. The same thing can happen to us. It's not on the same scale as Fox News or CNN. But the same thing can happen in our families or at school, or at work. When we say something without thinking it through and open up our mouth and insert foot, we laugh about that, but it can have lasting effects in our relationships. 
But what about when the cutting remarks? What about when the hurtful words come our way? What about when someone intentionally or maybe unintentionally offends you with their remarks or their words? We've all been there. You can't control what the other person says. You can't control the other person. And if that other person is someone you look up to, you respect, you love, it can have lasting effects on your life unless, everybody say unless, we learn to filter those words through the Word of God. And that's not easy. But I hope to encourage you with that today. For our text, I was reminded of a story that I love. One of my favorites in the Old Testament is the story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls. His mission was to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. Just give you a little history. Is that all right? All right. In 586 B.C., before Christ, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, came in and destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the walls, tore the walls down. They killed a bunch of people. They tore down Solomon's temple, burned everything to the ground, and took all the, 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 the important people and, and, and the, the, the good potential teenagers. That's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken at that time to Babylon 500. They, left, they just left a few poor people to take care of the city and killed the rest. Well, 70 years later, you've got Jews who really become almost a part of Babylon. And you've got, you've got a change of, of kings and a change of a nation. The Medo-Persians took over. And you had a new king who's been king now for 20 years, Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah is a Jew that works in the palace as a cupbearer. That means he got to taste the food and the wine before they gave it to the king. And so in case somebody was trying to poison the king, he died instead of the king. How'd you like that job? As long as nobody was trying to kill the king, it was a, probably a good gig. He got to know the king. He got the ear of the king. They had built a relationship. And so this king was pretty good, and he let the Jews that wanted to go back to Jerusalem. And so they go back, and they start rebuilding, but it's not going well. There's a lot of opposition. Somebody, how many know that when we try to do something good for the Lord, there's going to be opposition? There's going to be people to stand against you. There's going to be people to just get like a burr under your saddle. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So that's what was happening. The word gets back to Nehemiah that it's going very badly. They need leadership. They need vision. And so he's down, man. He's depressed in front of the king. And he's like, here's your wine. Oh, I got to taste it first. Sorry. No, I mean, he's like down. The king's like, what's wrong with you? I've never seen you this way, Nehemiah. What's up? So Nehemiah tells him. And the king does something very unkingly. <laughs> he says, what can I do to help? And Nehemiah's like, are you serious? I'd like to go back and help. And the king says, do it, and I'm going I'm to give you permission. I'm going to make the way easy for you. I'm going to do this for you. And so Nehemiah goes, and right away there's opposition. There's these two guys that are in another nation, that are uh, nationality. Their names are Sanballat and Tobiah. You know the story. You know what I'm talking about. And, man, they're just bad dudes. Listen to this. Nehemiah 4, verse 1. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan, Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of, listen to what he says, poor, feeble Jews think that they're going to do? 
Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and the charred ones at that? Verse 3. Tobiah the Ammonite who was standing with him remarked, the stone wall would collapse if a fox ran across it. I mean, these guys are verbally abusing Nehemiah and the people. The shots have been fired verbally. And we've just talked about how that's worse sometimes than a physical fight. The cutting words have happened and they're not just sarcastic. They are prejudiced. They are racist. It's really bad. Have you ever led a project that you just poured your heart into? You got people involved and you led, maybe it was at school, maybe it was at work as a work project or something, and you just poured like weeks into this thing and you were the leader and it was going good and then some, some idiot walks by and be like, that's terrible, that looks awful, that sounds terrible. It's so, nobody experienced that ever? Okay. It's, I'm just glad I had the right group. It's so hurtful. It's like somebody telling your newborn's ugly, right? It is. It's so hurtful. And here, Nehemiah, they've been working hard, and these guys are just... So Nehemiah is the leader. All eyes are on. I mean, these guys are like, blah, 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 blah. And everybody looks over at Nehemiah. They're all looking at him, and he has a choice to make, just like we do. Every single time. Did he roll up his sleeves and wade into the argument? What was he going to do? Let's listen. Verse 4, he says, then I prayed. Everybody say, I prayed. prayed. Hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. May they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of of the builders. Okay, time out before you high five your neighbor and be like, that's the prayer I'm talking about right there. Just, just consider something. Nehemiah was living on the other side of the cross. He was living on the other side of grace when he prayed this. Just remember that. We would do better in our prayer to pray something more in line with Jesus when he was on the cross or Stephen when he was being stoned to death when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, I know that's not nearly as fun. I get it. Smite them, Lord, just kill them. That's a whole lot more fun. But it's not New Testament. Just just saying. At last, Nehemiah, he took it to God in prayer. That's the point I want to make. He took it to God first in prayer. Look at the screen. Don't waste your words on retaliation. Don't waste your words on retaliation. Bring the matter to God. But pastor, what if it's my husband? (laughs) What if it's my wife? What if it's my kid? What if it's my boss? What if it's my best friend? Same answer. Same answer. Listen, practical, totally practical. If you are angry, if you are hurt, if you are both, what could you possibly say in that moment that would help the situation? I know you don't want to say it. Nothing. Nothing. That's right. Now, when you take it to the Lord in prayer and he deals with your heart and you get some victory over that and you don't want to kill the person anymore, 
Matthew 18 says go to that person. But you need to make sure before you go to that person that you're in the right spirit, in the right frame of mind, and you have rehearsed in your spirit what you're going to say to them. Verse 6. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked. Everybody say worked. They worked with enthusiasm. Folks, when you work and don't blab, things get done. I got one amen from my wife. Probably because she's thinking that about me. Anyway, when, when you work and don't run your mouth, you get things done. My girls, yes, I'm going to tell a story, Rachel. She's like, no. It's so fun to be a parent and a pastor at the same time. When we ask them to clean their room, all three of them, all three of them begin. Every excuse in the world. And by the time they're finished with their, their remarks, they could have been finished. Do I need to change mics? Check. Am I good? Okay. They could have been done. They could have been finished with the work if they had just started right then. It's the same with us. It's the same with us. Let me, let me grab this one. Check, check. There we go. When the people put their heads down and they focused, they got a lot done. And we can do that as well. But do you think it lasted? Do you think it lasted? It did not. Look at verse 10. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much I want to be moved and we'll never be able to build a wall our house. That's the way it goes. Have you noticed, seriously, have you noticed when the people around you begin to whine and complain that it rubs off so easily on you? Everybody look at me. Don't do that. Don't allow that to happen. Don't perpetuate a bad attitude. Don't pass along or repeat words that break down morale. At this point in my ministry, people sometimes will ask me, you know, about, you know, how do you lead a staff? What's the most important thing about leading a church or about leading a staff? And without question, when it comes to culture on a staff, I say, I protect morale. I invest in morale. Whatever it takes to protect unity on a team is the most important thing. As soon as morale is broken, work stops. It's the same in your organization, it's the same in your home, and it's the same at school, it's the same at church. I've seen it a hundred times. Because Satan's like, look, if I can't stop the work from the outside, I'm going to mess it up from the inside. It happens all the time. Look at the screen. Don't receive or perpetuate negative words. Don't receive them into yourself and don't push them forward. Don't give them any Way don't don't perpetuate those things to other people. Nehemiah was made fun of. He was cursed, threatened from the outside and the inside. But he overcame the power of negative words, and he was successful in spite of the verbal abuse. And I think there's two things. I think there's two things that I identify here that if we will do as well, we can overcome these things. Number one, 
He was moved by purpose and not negativity. He was moved by purpose and not negativity. Nehemiah was a man on mission. He had something to do, and he was focused on doing it no matter what. Anybody here ever take a bunch of kids fishing? Raise your hand. I mean, like, a, like 9, 10, 11-year-old kids. Anybody crazy enough to do that? I did that one time. And you know what? It was great as long as they were fishing. It was fun. They were catching fish, and we were laughing, having a good time. But as soon as one kid gets bored and puts down their rod and reel, what they're supposed to be doing, then the words begin and things go sideways from there. I'm telling you, the dynamic changes. But as long as they're fishing, everything's good. Listen, as long as we stay busy with what God has called us to do, as long as we stay focused on what he has called us to do, we will be blessed and things will move forward. But when we get idle, when we get lazy, when we begin to put down what God has called us to do and begin running our mouth, watch out. It's about to break apart and the enemy is going to come in. Nehemiah was successful because he was moved by purpose and not negativity. At one point, I don't remember exactly where it is, those guys come back, Tobiah and Sam Ballard, they come back and, and his people come and get him. He's up on the wall working. He says, I'm not coming back down this wall for them fools. I've got a job to do. The work is too important to mess with them. And that's what we have to do. That's the work of God is too important to stop for a moment and bicker and fight about something that does not matter. Come on, somebody. Give God praise if you believe it. He was moved by purpose, not negativity. Number two, he had the final word from the king. He had the final word from the king. Nehemiah wasn't in Jerusalem on his own Authority. It was his burden, but it wasn't his authority. He was there by permission from the king. Listen to how that goes down in Nehemiah 2, verse 7. He, Nehemiah says, I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters. Let me have words addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I'm going to need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted those requests because the gracious hand of God was upon me. When you have the final word of King Jesus about who you are, when you have the final word of King Jesus, there is nobody that can tear you down, nobody that can stop your work, nobody that can come against you because you have the final word of the King. Come on. In closing, let me ask you a very important question. What voice are you listening to? What voices are you listening to? Teenagers, what voice are you listening to? Who are you allowing to speak into your life? Adults, who are you allowing to speak into your life? Negative words can tear you down 
and damage you, but godly advice and godly words can make all the difference in the world. Look at the screen. The voice you should be listening to will always echo the word of God. That's a good comparison. If the words don't echo the word of God, then they're not godly. Duh. Not rocket science, folks. If somebody's speaking something in you that doesn't line up with the word, do not receive it. Be polite and say, thanks for that. It should always echo the word of God. I'm about to blow y'all's minds. Y'all ready? You're not. You are not. I have had to preach to a quiet group this morning. I'm telling you, you are not ready for this. Will you receive what I'm about to speak over you? This could be a life-changing moment for you. Do you know what God thinks about you? Do you know what God says about you? I want to ask you one more time. How many are going to receive what I'm about to speak over you right now? Will you receive it? If you know Jesus, okay, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior in Genesis, you are made in the image of God. In Deuteronomy, you are the head and not the tail. In Jeremiah, you are set apart for God's work. In Luke, you are blessed and not cursed. In Romans, you are accepted by God. You are free from the power of sin. You are greatly loved. You are joint heirs with Christ, and you are more than a conqueror. In 1 Corinthians, you are part of the body of Christ. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you have the mind of Christ. In 2 Corinthians, You are an ambassador of Christ and you are the righteousness of God in Christ. In Ephesians, you are alive in Christ. You are forgiven and you are God's workmanship. In Philippians, you you have the peace of God that passes all understanding. You have everything you need in Christ and you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. In Galatians, you are redeemed. In Colossians, you are complete. You are firmly rooted and established in your faith and you are strengthened. In 2 Timothy, you are called of God. In 1 Peter, you are chosen. You are royalty. You are holy. You are God's special possession and you are healed. In 1 John, you are born of God and the evil one cannot touch you. You are a child of God and greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And in Revelation, you are an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Come on somebody, give God praise if you believe it. Somebody give God praise. Somebody receive that right now. Come on, go ahead and stand to your feet and give the Lord praise. Just stand all around the room and give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Receive that. Just listen, I'm almost finished. Just stand on your feet. Stay on your feet. Last point right here. Look at the screen. How you identify yourself determines how you approach life. How you identify, do not let anyone else label you. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what your past is, what your culture is, how poor you were, how rich you were, how sinful you were. It doesn't matter. Don't let anyone, including Satan himself, put a label on you. You are not defined by what you do. You are not defined by your achievements or your failures. 
You are not defined by how gifted you are, how talented you are, or how you, much you struggle with something. You are not defined by what others say about you, whether it's good or bad. You are not defined by any of these things. Your identity is in Jesus Christ, and you are who he says you are. Let me tell you, you are a son. You are a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has given you the final word. And that's all you need. That's all you need. Bow your heads, please. Thank you.